here to worship Christ this morning as a Christ-centered community. We're intent on proclaiming the good news that there is hope in the name of Jesus. We're intent on making disciples who follow Jesus, and we are intent on sacrificially serving Jesus as a church family. And there is a lot going on. Can you believe it's almost fall? It is almost fall. And so uh, even within the guidelines the state has offered, we're allowed to do a lot of ministry. And so this fall, a lot is starting up. And you can find that on our website or we send an email out twice a week. So I know it's easy to just kind of ignore those emails when you see them. But if you want to know what's coming up, those emails are really helpful. We also have on our website sermon application questions uh, under resources and then sermons. So whether you're leading a small group or meeting with another believer or just for yourself, uh, those can be really, really helpful to kind of follow up and, and ingrain what we've heard in the sermon. And then lastly, we have a Membership Matters class this Wednesday night. Pastor Mike's going to teach that. And so uh, even if you've been coming for a long, long time, but never sort of officially committed in membership, we would encourage you to do that. Find out what that's all about this Wednesday night here at 630. Well, as we continue to worship, uh, if you would stand with me, I'm going to read from Psalm 67 and allow these verses to, to call us to continue worshiping the Lord. Psalm 67 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. And Father, we want to praise you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength this morning. We want to join with the song of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who worship you as the king of this universe. You rule over every inch and we rejoice in that. So help us to sing your praises. Help our hearts to calm themselves before you and under your word so that you would change us and reorient us to what is true and real and eternal. We pray this for the honor and glory of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. 
Please go ahead and have a seat for a moment. Just want to say hello. My name is Mike. If you're new to Grace, I'm the pastor here, and I serve with a wonderful group of pastors and elders, and we just want to uh, say to you that we love you so much. We care about you. We, you. You're on our hearts all the time, and just want to do two things. One, celebrate what God's doing among us, because it's easy to be separated right now and be socially isolated in a way, even if we're meeting once a week here, and not realize what might be going on in the body, what God is doing. So just to celebrate what God is doing among us and what he is bringing about. Uh, people are hearing the word. People are getting saved. Christians are growing. People are getting baptized. Uh, members are joining the church. Uh, we've actually grown through this time. Praise God. Um, and God is doing what he does among us. And, and we need to recognize that and really praise him uh, with all our hearts. Um, and so there's that. And then I just want to do a quick reminder on social distancing. I realize all of us are a bit weary at this moment, and uh, we just want to say a couple things about it. But I want to say it because I want to be consistent. We want to be consistent as a leadership team to message this appropriately. Uh, we worship God, love one another, and we want to be the best citizens of our earthly cities. And our leadership team, praise God, is wonderfully united. Uh, God continues to bless us with uh, really beautiful decision-making uh, all the time, but especially during this moment, it has been wonderful to see. We all have different nuanced views on things, but our decisions have been relatively easy because we're so like-minded, and we want to remind you, uh, whenever we have a, uh, an event off-campus, on-campus, we're going to follow the guidelines we have put out, and I realize that inconveniences you as it does me, and I just want you to know this is an expression of our love for Christ, love for one another, but also love for unbelievers, and uh, a testimony to the world, and obedience to the command to honor those that God has put uh, appointed over us. And so we believe as your elders, we're going to keep doing this uh, in this moment. If we think we come to the Acts 529, we must obey God rather than men moment, we will let you know. But we're preaching the gospel, we're meeting like this, and um, just want to encourage you to follow your conscience and be responsible and uh, just keep being the uh, amazing group of people you are, all right? So we thank God for you and um, let's continue on in our service. like to begin turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 again this morning, and Pastor Mike will be going through verses 7 to 12. And when you're there, and if you're able, would you stand with me? And we'll read verses 7 to 12 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 together. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And you may be seated. We're going to pray together. And as we do that, we want to remember one of our missionaries, Patty Morris. Patty has been serving in France for many years.
And as you know, in France, uh, the coronavirus has been really challenging for her and her ministry. And also, she is closing out her ministry in these next couple years. So uh, we're going to remember her this morning as we also pray uh, together for our morning here. So would you pray with me? Father, we come before you because of Jesus and his blood. We come before you because you were kind and you saw us when we were running away. Lord, we admit and we confess that we have traded in the true joy that you offered so often, even as believers, Lord, and we run after other things. We're anxious, bitter, angry, impatient with one another. We often spend our time thinking about ourselves and not considering others more important than ourselves, not considering how to bless others. We're proud, we're arrogant, we think we can get away without listening to you or without spending time in your word. But we remember that you promise if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we, we beg you, remember your promise. We trust your promise. We know that your son's blood is enough to cleanse all sin that we confess to you. No matter how deep, no matter how wide, no matter how long it's been going on, you can cleanse our sin. And so we confess this morning as a body before you. And we thank you for the hope and the peace and the joy there is in Jesus. Lord, we want to remember Patty. We want to thank you for the ministry she's had. Please, Father, give her wisdom, strength, endurance as she finishes out her course in France. Lord, strengthen the church there in Lyon. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would strengthen the church both there and around the world, that you would build up your body, that your church would be strong and healthy so that the world would see a clear picture of the truth and of the gospel. Lord, change us under the preaching of your word this morning. Teach us to love you. Give us the peace of Christ. We pray this all in his name and for his glory. Amen.
that is our prayer this morning, that in the center of our vision, it would be Christ, that all of our focus would be on Him. Lord, we want even this morning to see Him more clearly. So we ask right now that as we hear Your Word, we would turn our hearts towards Him with love and affection and humility. Lord, we want to, to see and save Jesus. So we pray that You would work in our hearts this morning so that He might get the glory. We pray all this in His name. Voice of the Martyrs once told a story of a young Muslim girl who came to faith in Christ, was converted to Christ, and then was uh, disowned by her family. Not an uncommon story to hear, but she was rejected, rejected by her family. She was disowned, she lost her sense of security, she lost her family, she lost her community. But she'd been saved by Jesus, and she had new life in Christ. And so um, she was brought into a new community. And although she had experienced pain and oppression and injustice from her own family, because of her faith in Christ, she was able to experience the beauty of Christian community. And she was part of a new body. She had new family connections. She, she had new companionship because she was in a new community. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is about community. How community is affected by oppression and injustice and envy. And now we're going to see that it is also affected by selfish loneliness. Selfish loneliness. We have seen so far in this chapter that God comforts his people in community, uh, that we don't suffer oppression alone, that we look to the triune God as our only hope. And then we saw last week that God gets us beyond envy, that we are to work in quietness, and we don't envy because Christians find their rest in Christ. And now Solomon's going to reflect on another observation he is making as he observes loneliness. Now some of you may be lonely today and the last thing in the world I'd want is for you to leave this place or finish watching this online and, and walk away feeling lonelier. What Solomon is reflecting on is chosen loneliness. He's observing loneliness and what he's doing, he's really doing some math with us. He's showing us that two is better than one, and three is better than two, because God created us to love him and love one another and others. And so today what we're going to do is delve into the, the beauty of community. And we're going to hopefully allow Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12 to examine our hearts that we're not so much examining the passage as we are allowing the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to examine our hearts and change us, the inside out. And Solomon is reflecting on community. He, he's pointing out individualism versus companionship and, and true community. And so he's counting, he's 
One, two, three, right? One is better than none. Two is better than one. Three is better than two. First thing I want you to notice as he's doing this is the first thing he observes, and it's the necessity of community. It is not good to be alone. Look at verse 7. We'll start at verse 7. And he begins this way. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. It's brief, it's fleeting, it's frustrating. And here is the vanity he saw. Verse 8. One person has no other. Literally, it's there's not a second. One person has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? And he caps that verse off with, this also is vanity and an unhappy business. It is it's doubly brief, doubly fleeting, doubly frustrating. He's reflecting, he's really lamenting, really, loneliness and isolation and solitary accumulation. And keep your eyes in verse 8. Look at what the text says. It says, one person has no other, either son or brother. So he, there's no one they have to serve. Again, literally, it's without a second. And, the, and the, the word one is used here three times to signify this loneliness, to emphasize it. There is one alone. He's working for himself only. There's no one to help him, no one to work for, no one to serve. Now Solomon is the first one that's going to affirm the value of work, uh, good, hard work. But what he's saying to us here is there must be someone that you are working for beyond yourself. Because the relentless pursuit of riches is never satisfied with accumulation. This is what verse 8 says. There is no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. This is like Proverbs 27, 20. Never satisfied are the eyes of man. Or Isaiah 5, verse 8. Woe to you who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room. You are made to dwell alone. You're all by yourself in all the work that you have been putting in. The preacher is really putting himself in the shoes of the lonely man. And the root cause of the loneliness is no immediate family. The context suggests someone who was working so hard and is so consumed by their work, they have no time to build or to maintain relationships, even in family or other close relationships. We all have seen it before. People that work so hard to achieve, yet in the process, they lose their families and they lose their friendships. We've seen it happen. And what we need to realize is there is a greater reckoning to come. In Mark 8, Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? In the context of Jesus saying that, he's, he's telling them, I'm on a mission to give my life for the sins of the world. I'm going to shed my blood in the place of lost sinners. In Luke chapter 12, uh, to the bigger barn builder, God 
it says, fool, your, your, your soul is required of you tonight. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Like, who's going to have what you have worked so hard on? And, and what this is ex- exposing is unexamined priorities, the unexamined life. A lack of community exposes unexamined priorities. Verse 8 says he never asks. The question never crosses his mind, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? He never stops to ask the purpose of, of his work and who will benefit from it. And so the, the conclusion of that verse is it's also vanity and it's unhappy. It's an unhappy business. It's, it's frustrating. We know that community builds character because you have accountability in community. Uh, one person put it this way, one can acquire everything in solitude except character. You can get everything you need in solitude except character, which you need the most. Godly community invites self-examination and creates accountability. Well, you've got to ask yourself the question. You read a verse like this and you say, you know, I'm humble enough to self-examine, to hold a mirror up to my attitudes and my actions and my words and my choices. Am I humble enough to let others speak into my life? It's interesting in this moment in which we're living, we are so dialed in to all the social distancing and we're so dialed into masks. There's mask shaming going on all over the place, right? Well, isn't it interesting? If we were so dialed in uh, to sin as we are to masks, how healthy would the body of Christ be? If we wanted to address sin in our life as intently as we're addressing if someone's wearing a mask, how healthy would we be? We believe the Bible is inerrant and inspired and infallible right up to the moment and the point when the Bible points out our sin. When the Bible points out our pet sins and our pet ideas and ideologies that don't line up with the Bible. 1 John 2.16 says, All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father. It is from the world. Now, I'm going to be the first person to tell you that time alone is good. And I'm a people person. I spend lots of time with people, but I need time alone, and I build time alone into my schedule every day, build Sabbath into a a rest into the week. But you can't be alone all the time. It's not good for you. Isolation is not good. This is why solitary confinement is the worst punishment at a prison. There's this necessity of community. It is not good to be Alone. This is what God said in Genesis 2.18. It's not good for the man to be alone. You think about it early on in our social distancing season that we're in. Think back. Just think back to March of this year. We all were experiencing extreme isolation. And it was affecting a lot of people to the point where a lot of people got depressed. Some killed themselves. Some were in despair. People were hungering for human interaction because it just got ripped out of their life. 
Now, there has been a residual blessing. I think God has grown a greater appreciation on the part of many people for their family, a greater connection, uh, getting closer as family units and friendships even are growing in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, the church is, is seen as a, as a refuge that it is. Think of the first Sunday we came back together. Who would have dreamt that we would be waiting to come back together as a church, not just week to week, but because we had gone months without doing that? There's a necessity of community. And the next thing that Solomon points out are the benefits of this community. And he says it this way, two are better than one. So the first thing he's saying is, look, look, there's a necessity there, and it is not good to be alone. But the second thing he's saying is, there are benefits to community, and two are better than one. He's doing the math with us. And when you get to verses 9 through 12, this is what Solomon has been pointing towards and working towards and angling towards for the whole chapter. That community is better than, than individualism and isolation. Now sometimes, you know, kids, if your brother and sister are always, you know, getting into your stuff, you're like, I want to be left alone, right? I want some isolation here. Uh, some of you uh, have, have been working from home for so long that you're like, you know, it wouldn't be bad to go back to the office. Some of your spouses are saying that every day, I know. But you're not supposed to be isolated all the time. And the preacher is contrasting loneliness with the joys of togetherness. And so in verses 9 through 11, he's saying two are better than one. And he's saying the poverty of the loner, whatever success they have, there is something better. This word better is a key word here. It's often in the value judgments of the wisdom writers. There's something better. Look at verse 9. Put your eyes on verse 9. Two are better than one. And here's the reason. They have a good reward for their toil. Now here's the rare advantage of leverage in life that Solomon is pointing out. The idea is that two are working together so they have a good reward for their toil together and it's pointing to loving work for others. It's the opposite of envy. The motive is clear. You're working for others as, and you're expressing love, not accumulating wealth, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people. That your work is for others. And, and Solomon expresses it in a mathematical statement. Two are better than one. That the point of your labor is to be able to share with others. It is not for you to accumulate for yourself, and that hits right against American individualism, doesn't it? You're like, wait, I thought the rule was I get as much as I can, and then I put it in a can, and then I sit in the can, on the can, and I just don't let anybody near my stuff. No. The idea is, working together, you, you provide help to one another, and you accomplish more. It's the blessing of com companionship. It's the blessing of community where there's mutual help. This is Proverbs 27, 17. As one man sharpens another, uh, as iron sharpens iron, excuse me, one man sharpens another. That's the idea here. So the answer to the loneliness of this, you know, solitary accumulation is God-honoring companionship and community. 
Now, where else in the world is it found but in the family and the church, in the fellowship of God's people? Now, the New Testament assumes that Christians will be together in community. I mean, the plurals are all over the place, okay? You and we. In Romans 12, the chapter that everyone should read every day to get their relationships straight, to get their heart uh, you know, tuned to the will of God. Uh, Romans 12, 4 and 5 says, As in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're in a community in the body of Christ. We're not individualistic silos or independent contractors. 1 Corinthians 12 put it this way, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. He put you into this church. He put you into his church. He, he adopted you into his family and then led you into a local assembly. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12 says, if, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He goes on, and he gives more benefits of community. The godly community, because this is not just any kind of community. This is God-fearing community that he is talking about. Verse 10, it shows us that it preserves and protects. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. The two are better than one. We, we get to bear one another's burdens. We get to carry each other. Galatians 6.1, bear one another's burdens. George Eliot put it this way, a best friend is a wellspring in the wilderness. I hope you have close relationships in the body of Christ. It's like a well in the wilderness of life. What did Jesus say to Peter? In Luke 22, he says, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. What's your job? Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And the outcome of that says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Like church, you're doing what the church is supposed to do. Keep doing that. He gives another example, verse 11. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Well, we can all, last night, you know, we don't need someone else to keep us warm right now, okay? I'm just saying. Um, but this was in the ancient Near East, and the nights were cold, and travelers would often uh, sleep together on cold nights. Even, seems weird to us, but uh, near the end of his life, Solomon's father, David, he needed people to keep him warm. They brought people in as like foot warmers. And what's happening in these verses is we're getting examples of loneliness in contrast to community. And every one of these examples come from the experience of travel in that part of the world at that time. So verse 10, it's like falling into a pit or a ravine. It's not the biggest danger today for all of us. Verse 11, it's trying to keep warm outdoors during the cold of night. The biggest problem for us right this moment. You go on to verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. The idea is robbers along a road. And 
Now these lessons are not restricted to travel, but the picture here is of robbers along a road and you need help. You need comfort and you need a defense when you meet into the robbers. <laughs> and it's found in fellowship in life. Facing community is better than going, uh, facing life in community is better than going alone. So there's a necessity to community, not good to be alone. There are benefits. Two are better than one. Now I want you to look very intently with me on verse 12. I want you to put your eyes on verse 12, and I want you to really let the words of this verse sink in. It starts this way. Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. So this is protection provided by the community. Again, for travelers in that context, it was advisable to have a companion with you. Lone travelers were easy pickings for the, for the robbers. And Jesus illustrated this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. But Solomon then surprises us with a new conclusion. Look at verse 12, and I want you to see the, the last phrase of verse 12. He surprises us with this. More math. Verse 12. Very end, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now we're hitting into the power of community. Three is better than two. You could say four is better than three, and five is better than four. Just keep on going. Now, a lot of you hear that verse and you're like, I know exactly what that verse is about. I, I hear it like weddings all the time, right? A threefold cord is not quickly broken. It refers to a husband, a wife, and God. And when your marriage is built on God, the husband and wife, it's all going to work out great. It seems very godly to bring God into it, doesn't it? But this is not the meaning of this verse. I mean, you could apply it in a certain way, but that's not the meaning of this verse. It's not a wedding verse. I know people even get sentimental and romantic about it. Solomon is pointing to community. This is the context, to teamwork, to solidarity, to companionship. And he's saying two can be vulnerable. I mean, think about it. A police car rolls up and gets out of the car and there's a big thing going on and they call for backup. So you, you gotta call for backup sometimes. I mean, do you know why children were such a gift in Bible times, they became part of the workforce for your family. Kids, do you realize that if you grew up in Bible times, parents are like, yes, another child to work in the fields. <laughs> oh, to love and to care for and to feed and clothe and teach the word of God and to work in the fields. And that's the reason children were considered such a blessing once grown, they would add to the support structure. I mean, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is first to be applied to grown adults that rise up and honor their aging parents by caring for them. He's saying if, if two are helpful, three is not a crowd. Three is not a crowd here. It is a community. Now, if you look at verse 12 through the, a New Testament lens, here we are in August 2020. Look at it with a New Testament lens. The third could show the fullness of Christ, uh, the life in Christ for the body of believers. You could also say, you know, it reflects the Trinity. 
a perfect example of unity and community. The Father planned redemption. The Son secured it at the cross. The Spirit works it out. But he's not referring to the Trinity here either. I think it's very fitting that he uses this example for Christian community, for God-centered, God-fearing community. And we get to see in 2020 what Solomon could only hope for. We get to see the beauty of community in the body of Christ. It's fitting to end this chapter about community with a proverbial saying about uh, the goodness of community. But we're not talking mere friendship. We're not talking you know, companionship in general. We're not talking about, oh, my block is really supportive of one another and they help each other. That's all good things. This is God-fearing community under God. This is where you're looking to Jesus together, the author and perfecter of your faith. This is where you put your faith in Christ who shed his blood in your place on the cross. This is where you say, my life belongs to Christ. He is my life and he has adopted me into his family and I have many brothers and sisters and I have a local assembly that I'm getting to know better and better and they're getting to know me better and better because we're better together. I know it's a trite cliche, but it is absolutely true when you're talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We are better together. Martin Luther put it, said it this way, it is better to be in association with others and enjoy things in common than to be a solitary miser who only cares about himself and grabs things for himself alone. We're stronger together in the body of Christ, not alone. The threefold cord reminds you of the strength of Christian community. There was a dying father once who wanted to show his sons the importance of community, so he gave them a bundle of, of sticks, of twigs. He asked them to try to break that bundle, and they couldn't be broken when it was all together, but you take, you know, each little twig out on its own, you can easily snap them. It's a good picture of Christian community. You need to be together. We are meant to persevere. As God perseveres us, as Jesus perseveres us in the faith, we are meant to persevere together in local assemblies, not alone. You want to apply this into your life right now? Uh, you do need to see it in the context of the wider biblical lens, remembering that sin marred God's good design for community. Now, solitude can be a blessing in your life, but not as the primary focus of your life. God's intent was to create mankind uh, for intimate fellowship with him and with one another. That's why God said it's not good for a man to be alone. God created the family in order to make them into the divine image. Um, but here's what happened. Adam and Eve fell in sin. It was a breach of the interpersonal covenant between them and God, but also by implication, every human relation. That's why things uh, in terms of sin sped up so much in the first five chapters in Genesis. You have the first family committing the first murder, brother against brother, and it just gets worse from, all, from there to all society because the curse of sin brought the frustration of alienation from others. Why is hell often spoken of as extreme hyper-individualism? And, and Jesus went to the cross because of that sin. And what did Jesus do when he was on the cross? He suffered alone. His disciples deserted him. The Father had to turn 
his face away. He was utterly alone in those last hours of darkness and torment. He was alone on the cross, alienated from the Father to bring us to God, into fellowship with one another. And so what you see with the wide lens of biblical truth, you see that salvation restores community. That alienation was a result of the curse, and that salvation brings restoration. That Jesus gives us peace with God. We have the peace of God. But then we see it just filter out into the rest of our relationships. We're put into a new society. We're put into a new humanity. We're put into the body of Christ. We're adopted into Christ's church. Do you know what that means for you and me today? There is no such thing as an isolated Christian. And that if it happens, it should be an anomaly. And it should be corrected. It should be extremely unusual to find an isolated Christian. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter your life stage, every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ longs for and seeks to engage in the fellowship of believers in a local assembly, in Christ's body, in the church. It's a blessed gift from God. I think of all the mentoring relationships that I've been blessed with in my life. I have a whole slew of men that have built into my life and I'm so thankful for them. I can listen to them and learn from them and grow with them. I, in my office, right over here, across the way at, at Grace here, I have a, a certificate on my wall, and it's my ordination certificate. When, when, I, when our church, Downey First Baptist, uh, ordained me to gospel ministry, and that certificate has a lot of names written on it, of people that built into my life. And even at this moment, because it's been since 1990, that... The, the names are faded. I can still see, though, and I could tell you the story of how each person on there impacted my life. I even think this last week, the man who, who brought me into ministry in 1985, Harold L. Adams, he was the pastor at Downey First Baptist, he has had his 92nd birthday, and he brought me and many others into an opportunity to serve in, in pastoral ministry and to be mentored and to grow and to learn in Christian community, lovingly and firmly guiding and teaching. Because Christian community is built on love. It's built on love for Jesus and love for the body of Christ. This is why you want to build into other people's lives as a Christian. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. It is a great comfort which Jesus gives his church. You confess and preach and bear witness to Christ, and Christ alone will build as it pleases him. Do not meddle in what is not your providence. Do what is given to you, and do it well, and you will have done enough. Live together in the forgiveness of your sins. Forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. That's what it means to live in Christian community, where you savor it, where you share it. I mean, think about savoring Christian community with me for a few moments. In Ephesians 4, you might want to turn there. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul is talking about the body of Christ built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, built on the shed blood of Christ. And he says in Ephesians 4, 
verses one through six. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk or to live in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, Christian community, in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We just savor the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as we live in Christian community that is very real, that is messy, that is sometimes frustrating. Christian community is the fellowship of the redeemed who are growing in Christ-likeness via the faithful handling an obedient hearing of the word of God. Christian community is reborn people learning to love one another even though they sometimes don't like what they see. This is a call to pray together, to interact together, to open the word of God together, to serve together, to help one another in the process of painful Christian growth where you forbear, which means you just let it go and don't even bring it up. Don't be so picky. Where you forgive and where you forget about yourself. When was the last time you forgot about yourself and were so engulfed with wanting to help others in the body of Christ that you didn't even think of yourself? Christian community is unity with beloved family. It is daily receiving together what God provides. It is a word of encouragement at times. It is a word of correction at times. It is a smile. It is a hug. It could be a frown. It could be a pain in the neck. It's resisting the temptation to control others, knowing that Jesus wants to transform your heart. It's risking rejection and reaching into people's lives lovingly with no motive but to glorify God and help them and bless them. And it's all a miracle the grace of God in Christ. This doesn't just happen. We cannot make this happen. We cannot manufacture this. We can't do that. Just this June, June 2020, one of our politicians warned this uh, regarding helping the nation beat back this deadly pandemic. He said this, there are no miracles coming. Like, we have to do it all. And I'm here to tell you, as it relates to Christian community, there are many miracles coming every single moment of every single day or we couldn't be in this tent together in peace and love and harmony every day god is doing ordinary miracles by his grace for his glory for your good and god uses his family christ's body the church the pillar and support of the church truth we have to share that we, we need to share that. Uh, think about it. Members of the body of Christ are responsible to bring others, fold others into the fellowship, especially members that are susceptible to alienation or solitude. I think of widows and orphans and foreigners. The Bible singles them out as those whom the church should pay special attention. Don't leave people out. Uh, be attentive to everyone in our midst. I don't want anyone leaving today thinking, no one talked to me, no one notices me, and I'm insignificant, and I don't even know if, if people know I'm a part of this church. That shouldn't happen to any of you. 
I think of singles and college students away from family. I think of international students. I think of older people who can't get out, who watching on the live stream. We want to see you, but we know you can't come. We love you. We care about you. The church loves you. The church wants to reach out to you. We have to include everyone in the body. And in this moment, oh, wow, we're, we're a little bit inconvenienced. We'll keep pivoting and, and keep adjusting and, and keep seeking the glory of God above all. It's everyone's job to include people in community. You reflect the image of God who brought you into his body when you do so. You know, statistics show that if new members to a church don't find genuine companionship and community within a year, they'll leave. And it works both ways. Many people leave churches without trying, without making the effort to build deep friendships. And if you don't become a member of, of a real fellowship, you're just going to grow restless and you're going to grow dissatisfied and you're going to grow cynical and judgmental. You realize that you and I are all on notice on this sweaty August day in 2020, you realize we're all on notice, every believer amongst us. The importance of community and, and the foolishness of neglecting the assembly, as is the habit of some, we are to encourage one another. And all the more that we see the day drawing near. Because there is comfort in Christian community. There is strength in Christian community. And there is a cost. It costs us. You have to give up your total independence. You have to consult someone else's opinion. You have to listen to someone else and adjust to what they say to you in truth, in love. But guess what? The results are joint benefits. Nobody exploiting anybody. You work for the good of others. Where else but in family and in the church can that happen? You should take this application. That you would resolve. You say, I'm going to help and comfort and defend my family in Christ. As you seek your strength and security in Christ. That's the beauty of community that reflects your security in Christ. That Christ saved you for himself to be with him together with, with all the saints it reflects the glory that we're going to have together forever. Our community does not exist for itself. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is Christ's church. It is God's new community. And so there is a necessity for it. It is not good for us to be alone. There are benefits. Two are better than one. But there is power. Three are better than two. What impeccable wisdom from God. And we see what Solomon only saw from afar, this redemptive power and plan of God forming a community of the redeemed. And Jesus, our helper, our comforter, our defender. That God created us in Christ for community in his body to love him and love one another and others. That in Christ, if you're a Christian, you have been put into a new community of the redeemed You've been called, you are being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ because you were bought the precious blood that brings us together forever. One of my favorite novels is by Wendell Berry. It's a book called Jaber Crow. He tells the story of a man in the town of Port William who once wanted to be a pastor. 
But he became a humble servant of the people as the town barber and the church janitor. And this man, Javer Crow, was not always accepted, nor was he included. But at one point, Barry has him say this. This is a novel, this is fiction. What gave me the most pleasure of all was, was just going up there to the church. Whatever the occasion, and sitting down with the people. He said, one day I went up there to work. Sleepiness overcame me, and I lay down on the floor behind the back pew to take a nap. Waking or sleeping, I couldn't tell which. I saw all the people gathered there who had ever been there. And I saw them as I had seen them from the back pew. As I sat with Uncle Othi, who would not come any further, while Aunt Cordy sang in the choir. And I saw them as I had seen them from the back pew on the Sunday before. And I saw them in all the times past and to come, all somehow there in their own time and in all time and in no time. The cheerfully working and singing women, the men, quiet or reluctant or shy, the weary, the troubled in spirit, the sick, the lame, the desperate, the dying, the little children tucked into the pews beside their elders, the young married couples full of vision, the old men with their dreams, the parents proud of their children, the grandparents with tears in their eyes, the grieving widows and widowers, the mothers and fathers of children nearly dead, the proud, the humble, the attentive, the distracted. I saw them all. I saw the creases crisscrossed on the backs of the men's necks, their work-thickened hands, the Sunday dresses faded with washing. They were just there. They said nothing, I said nothing, and I seemed to love them all with the love that was mine merely because it included me. I hope you feel included. The beauty of community in Christ's body is us getting beyond isolation and enjoying the sweet, sweet companionship of true community where we're trusting Jesus together to be our help and our comfort and our defender. And Lord, we thank you that nothing is accidental in your plan. We were all supposed to be here or listening together. And the beauty of your community is so necessary. There are benefits. There are, there's a cost. We thank you that your community was built at the cost of Christ's precious blood. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our help and our comfort and our defender. And we pray in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing one final song?
today, please uh, leave to your right playground side. We've got another group coming in at 11.15 for a service, so please exit the tent quickly. But please do not leave without uh, engaging in some good conversation with people, especially if you meet someone new. If you're not a believer and you want to know more about Jesus, we would love to talk with you more about the gospel and how Jesus changes lives. Uh, if you are a believer, I want to remind you of something. So right here, I asked her if it was okay, Doe McAllister is right here. And by the way, she's going to be gone for six weeks because she's got some surgery she's got to get done on her, on her foot. And so we're going to be reaching out to her. But she's like one of our uh, biggest greeters here, like our best greeters here. When she first came to Grace, she was coming all the time but didn't necessarily feel you know, welcomed and connected yet. And her kids said, Mom, you join a home group. You get into Bible study. You, you know greet people and whatever and that's exactly what she did and you would never know that she hasn't been here for you know so long but that's what you got to do i mean really just just go for it okay uh engage in really good community um as we end i want to end with with two verses jude 24 and 25 this will be our closing prayer now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Mm -hmm.